It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Rolling with the unknowns of life. Guys, we, um, life is an interesting thing. I think a lot of you who listen to the show, and, and I think one of the reasons that we've, the, the podcast has been so successful for us is that there are a lot of people that relate to our crazy planner mentalities. And you feel like this is your oasis or escape where you get to come find these other financial mutants that think the same way you do. And that's what we wanted to do a show based upon what happens when life happens, when, when things don't go as anticipated and us planner mentality type people we have to adjust. We have to kind of roll with the punches and, and just, this is what makes life interesting. This is what can make life fulfilling. But man, is it a crazy ride for people like us that try to control and plan and figure things out. And it's, um, you know, it, it's kind of a humbling thing. So we wanted to kind of take our life events and things that are going on that we've seen happen to clients and see how you can actually do, use some of these tools and coping mechanisms that we've come up with to help you be better financially as well as being better at life. So that's kind of today's show. It's going to be a fun one. I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't mean to jump so much into business brine mode here, but um, this one has going to have some twists and turns because we've got some, uh, we've been keeping, I'll just go ahead and say, we've been keeping a big money guy secret here for the last few weeks. And I hate keeping secrets because it's one of those things, even though confidentiality is very important, we do honor that. There are certain things that happen in life that you just don't want to keep it a secret. You want to kind of share this information. So um, we'll, we'll kind of let you know. I guess that's the teaser. I could say we just created a teaser here for the, the Tightwad Nation and the Money Guy family. Um, so stick around to hear that. But um, a lot of great things I think you'll get out of today's show. We're going to kind of be working with our Money Guy family to show you how you pivot and still land on your feet when life happens. But we're also going to share a few planning basics that will protect you from the uncertainty of life. Uh, let me give the, the intro so we can roll this thing. This is the Money Guy Show. I'm your host, Brian Preston. I'm sitting across from Mr. Bo Hansen. Um, by day, we're fee-only financial advisors with offices all across the Southeast. That's probably easier to say instead like of that, all the yeah. states and everything else. And um, my background, I come from a background in public accounting. Also, I'm a certified financial planner and a personal financial specialist, meaning I'm a CPA that does financial planning. I'm, Mr. Bo, I'll brag on him a little bit. He's also a certified financial planner. And then he's nerdy enough and likes investments enough that he also is a CFA, a Charter Financial Analyst, which go do your due diligence. That means he's kind of geeky. <laughs> um, we always like to throw out there at the beginning, after you listen to the show, and I'll mention this later in the show, if you like what you hear and you're like, these are the type of guys I would like to work with, take it to the next level. Reach out to us. You can reach me at Brian, B-R-I-N, at money-guy.com. You can reach Mr. Bo Hansen at Bo, B-O, at money-guy.com as well if you want to inquire about our day jobs as well. Okay, let's jump into this thing. Bo, it's kind of excited. Now, don't don't spill the beans yet. We've got to build. This is kind of like a, an, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it like a Queen's Reich album where okay. it's got to be like Operation Mind Crime where you have to build up to. You just dropped so many references well, that you, went way over my head. People who are my age will understand that. That's not meant, you know, you always have to put a few Easter eggs in there for people who, who are that part of that Gen X crowd that I am. 
where they'll know what I'm talking about, where we have to build the suspense and build this thing up before we hit to a crescendo and then kind of bring it back to the resolution. But um, so I see you there, just hang in there with the secret. But um, we're planners to the core, and this is when I was writing show notes and trying to figure out how we were going to do this. I think it is our unique personalities that led us to this career. Now, it, it does have some downsides. I know when I, I joined a small group study with my, my pastor at the church I go to, one of the first things he told me was, I worry about you, Brian, because you try to control the world too much. <laughs> and he says, sometimes that's not the greatest personality trait to have. And I, and I think he's right, and that's why I try to be mindful of it, but it does make us uniquely equipped to do what we do for a living. Um, I think that, and I'll tell you, this goes so deep, and I can speak for Bo on this too, is that I completely believe that businesses are not the only entities that should have five-year action plans. Oh, not at all. If you're not planning for what you want to see happen and visualizing what you think should happen over the next three to five years, I think you're missing out on something because there's something subconscious that occurs when you put a plan into action. I mean, we, we've talked about it all the time. When we do business planning as well as personal planning, it's something about putting a plan to paper that it just becomes part of your subconscious and becomes reality. It's so funny. That makes me think of two things, Brian. One thing, we've done this before is we've hired associates in the past. That's kind of one of the questions that we ask sometimes. Hey, where do you see yourself in five years? And the reason we ask that question isn't so much that we care about the answer, but that we care about the fact that there's a type of person who's thinking about that, who kind of does have their five-year plan. And then this is silly, and the only reason I'm bringing it up is because we talked about it in show prep. Uh, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were uh, were watching uh, a pop culture television show. Uh, it was The Bachelor. I'm not ashamed to admit that. She loves that show. We were checking it out. And, uh, and I remember after that episode, we talked about, there was a girl on there where they talked about a five-year plan. And I she's was like, thinking the same thing. She was like, five years? What, what in the world would I be thinking? Of? And it, it literally, my skin started crawling. It, I, I when told she my was, wife the same thing. Yeah, she was just like, why in the world would I think about five years? Now, Jillian, if you're out there and you need a financial advisor, we'd be more than happy to work with you, but we would love to help you get your five-year plan in place. She just doesn't need to be in the financial planning profession. Yeah, that's probably true. But it is so funny you said that because it made my skin crawl as well. Um, I want to go ahead and kind of shift into kind of the meat of the show and kind of tell you what led to this show. You know, you guys were big on sharing. I think it's amazing if you look at the invisible hand that guides this show is that life just happens enough that we come up with show topics. And that's exactly what has driven today's show. Um, I'll, I'll start off with Mimebo, and then I want to transition to the big secret that we've been keeping. Um, I found out in the last two months, you know, you guys know part of 2014 was the big give. We raised um, a little over $4,000, or right at $4,000, I should say. It was actually a little less than $4,000. I rounded up to $4,000 um, from the T-shirt campaign, and we gave that to Autism Tennessee and really appreciate those guys for you know when they we came and did some photo ops, not sure if we've put that out there. I'll make sure that we've yeah. we've done everything we're supposed to with that. But this whole thing with autism has been a shock to my family. And then we found out about two months ago, we were my my daughter, the the public school system that we were getting some some help from. It said she's not ready for a normal classroom experience. So we're in the process of trying to plan what does that mean? What do the steps look like for her education choices to make sure she doesn't just get 
compartmentalized away from where, you know, gets the resources she needs. So we're having to do some life planning right now. I don't have the rest of the story and, and to give you the answer, but it is one of those things where I practice what I preach and the fact that we're doing this show today and it is part of the inspiration. Now, that's kind of one of those ho-hum things that you have to adjust for. You don't count on like a layoff or, you know, a death in the family or a sickness and illness. But we actually have some positive things that can happen. And that's why I kind of want to shift gears to, because I've already told you we've been keeping a secret. And I'll just kind of shut up for a minute and let Bo kind of jump in and start sharing his thoughts. And perfect timing, Carol, for coming in and joining the show. But um, go ahead, Bo. I'll let you have the floor. Yeah, so uh, kind of an interesting past couple uh, weeks and months for me specifically. Uh, my wife and I, we went back home. Um, over the holidays and uh, had a great time with family, spending time with all that and that sort of thing. But she was having some, uh, what we thought were uh, either like intestinal issues or maybe some lady issues. Some, something was causing her discomfort to the point where we finally said, you know what, we ought to, we ought to go see a doctor. You know, if you're hurting enough, we ought to go, go check out the doctor. So we schedule an appointment for her. It was late in the Friday afternoon go to an appointment. And she walks in, and they start doing the tests that they do to check those sort of things. And, uh, and the nurse kind of doing the test started kind of smiling uh, at my wife. And it turns out that there was a baby inside of her belly, which was pretty exciting. Uh, it was at the end of the day, so the person who does like the normal uh, baby tests, or ultrasound, I guess, is the scientific term for it, I couldn't do it, so they told us they want us to come back Monday morning. So uh, Jen and I are super excited. We come back in uh, on Monday morning, and we find out all within about 30 minutes that uh, we're pregnant, we are having a baby girl, <laughs> and she will be here around June 1st. Uh, at the time we found out, we actually found out that she was 19 weeks pregnant, um, at first, I didn't really grasp what that meant, but that meant we were kind of half halfway through this thing, uh, and we sort of had no idea. We kind of joke, we feel like we're those uh, those people on the MTV show that's like, oh, I was pregnant, I didn't know it. Um, yeah, I, I've, I'm still in a little shock, I'll be honest. <laughs> I, I feel like I believe Jenna, but I still think it's crazy. How do you go that long? I guess it must be, it's the truth because they wouldn't create... Uh, these reality shows where they have these things, but it's just that you don't strike me with your planner personality to be the type that no, not at know, all. And with, a baby yeah. sneaks up and surprises you four and well, a half months there into were, it. So there were a few things going on, right? Without be, without getting into any details, where we just thought we could easily disqualify that. Oh no, that's not what's going on because we've taken certain precautions so that that would not be the case. Uh, but lo and behold. Sometimes life happens, and that's exactly what this show talks about. What's so funny is... Oh, whoopsie. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well, over over the weekend, you, I mean, over the holidays, uh, uh, our family started asking, you know, because my wife and I have been together for uh, six or seven years now. We've been together for a while, and, uh, and we had started uh, talking about, okay, we're getting close to starting a family. Maybe we want to, maybe midway through 2015 not do some of the precautionary stuff we were doing, start thinking about having a baby at the beginning of 2016. Well, little did we know, we were, we were already well into the process. And so my planner mentality, my OCD, my control freak person inside of me has been having sort of a hard time with this. You know, generally big life decisions, I like to ponder on them for a while and figure those things out. Well, the last few weeks and months, uh, I've just kind of been going crazy. You want to tell them, 
the other little secret about the the show we did a few weeks ago? Well, I mean, it, it's we've been having a big internal debate here, uh, you know, because Bo has been in a state of shock and awe. I mean, in the fact that he really is the planner that he that I think a lot of you think he is listening to the show. I mean, we really do try to practice what we preach, and so he, I've been watching him have his own little mini crisis. And then we have been not helping. We, you know, if anything, instead of you know finding some sand to throw on the fire, we kind of been finding some gasoline <laughs> or kerosene, whatever you want to do to to fuel it. Because I started the dialogue that I was concerned about them having the baby in an apartment complex, right? Because um, you know you're in that state of transition, and then you kind of did a, an informal poll around the office and found out. Turns Quite a out few everybody of us kind of yeah, agree I mean, with that. So it's um so you know that's why we did the show. I was I was in my own little way. I don't want to say bullying, but I was trying to nudge you into thinking about the long term ramifications. I mean, and that's not to say I probably should apologize to people who listen to that show. Is that I do like home ownership, but believe me, I understand there's definitely times in life, um, and it, like we have a client, a very successful client that's kind of in that downsizing mode of life mm-hmm. where they are renting right now instead of owning a house because yep. they're in a state of transition. I get that. But I thought it for you, Bo, you needed a little nudge because you are, you know, so I, I apologize for already fueling the fire of your crisis, but I felt like it was the right thing. And now, now that I think that you, y'all have got a house under contract, you're closing in the next few weeks it's all going to work out. Now, it doesn't mean it's not going to be scary. Lord yeah, knows, of most of the great things I've done in life are scary as H-E, crook letter, crook letter. I mean, there's really <laughs> no other way to put it. I mean, it is. that's just the way life is, is that some of the best and best things in life can be the scariest Absolutely. things. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. So that's the big secret. And we want to kind of use that as the inspiration for how do you guys learn some tools or coping mechanisms so that you can make sure that you pivot and land on your feet and that this does not derail anything in your personal life. And the other thing, too, is while your situation may not be a baby that comes a little bit earlier than you were expecting, there are certain things in life that are going to change your plans. And uh, my wife and I, we feel so blessed that we've been able to make decisions thus far that we're going to be just fine because we did do some planning. It wasn't distinctly planning for this, but we did some planning, and we're going to be okay. And some of those decisions that we made earlier on that allow us to be in the situation, we're not freaking out, figuring out how we're going to make it work. We're just trying to figure out how we're going to, you know, change the course a little bit. So, the, Bo, the way I did the outline for today's show is that I figured I'd go through some confessions that I have personally seen happen in my own life, as well as mistakes or concerns that I've seen occur in clients' lives. Now, I realize we're t- not giving you any names or anything, but I can tell you, the good and the bad of some horrible life things as well as good life things that come and then how they kind of survived it or made it work for them. And I, the first thing I was going to start with was as putting in your tool belt of how do you overcome just the uncertainty and unknowns of life was you got to have cash reserves. Oh, yeah. This is kind of one of those basics that I think is um, if you're not doing this, you really need to go back and look at things Um and and I want to give you kind of a confession of a mistake I made. And we talked about this, Bo, earlier, is that back before the collapse of the real estate market in 2008-9, it was pretty much considered a given out there in the financial world that real estate was a no-lose type of investment. Oh, yeah. Because in the, in the common, the, the thing that everybody always said when you start going, wow, can my house really appreciate as much as it has? People go, 
Well, God ain't making more of it. Not any more land out you know, there. That's, a, that's the thing. Everybody always used to say it's a great thing to go buy you some, you know, get it you into, get into real estate because God's not making more of it. And truthfully, it's still not a bad way to look at it, but we have shown that too much leverage, mm-hmm. too much speculation can fuel of all things that we've seen so many times. We just started in a different cycle with a different asset. There was a bubble that was created. And the, and the values just did not sustain. So, well, during that period, pre-2008, I had six figures of equity in my house. And um, I did not keep cash. I mean, I just didn't feel like it was necessary. I felt like, hey, why should I have any cash on hand? Because I'd rather go utilize my dollar bill army to go make money and other things. Right. So, And I had this home equity line on my house that I wasn't using. I just had a checkbook. I even had, they gave me a credit card at one point. I never used the credit card that they gave me, but I had a checkbook as well as a credit card that gave me access to this six figures for the home equity line. And that way, you know, if an opportunity came my way, I felt like I was bulletproof. I just go write a check off the home equity line and then recoup and figure things out. So I was loading everything up into retirement planning and other things. Well, then the downturn occurred. And fortunately, I was doing this podcast. I started getting some clients or listeners, I should say, emailing me saying, my lender just sent me a letter saying my home equity line was no longer accessible. That was almost like a just kidding. We've reassessed your value of your property and we're not giving you access to any of that, you know, supposed equity that you had that we were giving you access to last month. And the thought was, holy cow, I've been putting money in it. That's my money, right? I've yeah, been I mean, because that's the other thing. You could prepay. A lot of people, I think, felt comfortable prepaying their debt, too, because they're like, well, I'll just use the home equity line to get access to it if I ever had an emergency. You know, so it create, turned an illiquid asset like real estate into some, somewhat of a, a liquid access point. Mm-hmm. Well, we quickly realized when the music stopped, it doesn't work that way. And I, you know, it's funny, after you guys, the listeners, started sending me those emails, I got one of those Dear John letters from the bank that held my mortgage saying, hey, just kidding, that six figures gone. Poof. So sorry. We're freezing your home equity line. And um, I fortunately had two or three months that I'd already started pivoting in the plan. And um, now I think cash is, even though I think it stinks, is cash is somewhat trash on the interest rate that you can earn, you know, even the, the the internet banks are only paying between 0.75 and 1%. It's still superior to being dead broke Absolutely. and not having access to liquidity. So I just tell you that is make sure you have three to six months of cash reserves. Now, as I talked about on the last podcast we did, how do you determine if you're three, six, or maybe even nine months? Look at your job and your flows of income. If it is going to be harder for you to replace that income, you need to probably push that out longer. If you think you can get a job next week if you really need it, and I mean really level with yourself. Always go conservative when you're doing financial projections. So really level with yourself. If you know that you're in a a, a career path and you have a talent that would allow you to go to work next week, maybe you only need three months just for the unknowns of life that can occur. Um, did you have anything you want to put on that before I went to the next one? No, that's nice. The next one I thought was a big thing that you got to do if you want to prepare for the unknown. You got to have those estate and insurance documents all set up. Absolutely. I pick on people constantly. One of the first things you guys call me after you decide you want to go to the next level and we start doing that phone interview so I can know who you are and what you have going on in your life. As soon as I find out you have children, I'm going to say, what do your estate documents look like? Do you have guardians set up for your children? Because Truthfully, I think that your children are more important than the finances 
of your life. So you got to make sure you know where they're going to land in case something happens to you and your significant other. Um, it's such an important thing. And of course, the financial stuff's important, but right. that is a no-brainer. So make sure that you have wills, healthcare directives, and things like that. And then the next thing we'll transition to, and remember, we don't sell insurance. Um, we're, we're fee only, but we do ask how much life insurance you have. Cause I'm a big proponent of people having enough insurance to protect themselves. You know, and I, you know, I have, I'm, I'm young enough that if I died and I didn't have an insurance plan put into effect, my family would be devastated right. because they have got, grown accustomed to the income I generate. Right. And we have a decent amount of assets, but it is not enough assets that can completely guaranteed to cover every bit of what I earn for the next 20 to 30 years. So what I have done is I have term life insurance, a lot of term life insurance that will hopefully, hopefully will never be used. That's the first hopefully I'll say. But hopefully, you know, my thought is, say in 20 years, when I have a 30-year term, I have a 25, and I have a 30-year. I actually have it it laddered out kind of that way. And I'm counting on, say, when that 20-year policy goes away, that maybe some of my life goals have been accomplished. Maybe I'm out of debt, mm-hmm. you know, with my mortgage. Maybe my kids are out of college. So I don't have as much need. And that's okay for life insurance to go away if you built enough financial assets independent so that you can self-insure yourself. And that's kind of the goal. So make sure that insurance plan, it doesn't have to be just life insurance. We've talked about in other shows, umbrella insurance. Yep. We've talked about disability insurance because sometimes there's a higher likelihood you'll become disabled, even more so than being, you know, passing away and, and needing life insurance. So make sure that those estate and insurance planning documents are done. Um, this is one I kind of hinted at on the emergency reserves, Bo, and you, we talked about this when we were doing show prep, so you can jump in. I said avoid being life poor but retirement rich. Oh yeah, that's a good. This one. is that's one you one. you were glad see, we were talking about you having to pivot from realizing you're going to soon be a father, a little sooner on the timeline than you anticipate, and you're going to buy a house a little sooner than you probably, your your second house, I should say. A lot of people realize Bo, when he transitioned up to Nashville, he had a house already. This is actually Bo's second house. So he's very familiar with home ownership, but it's just this one in a new environment is maybe a little sooner than you'd planned. And I made that mistake. I mean, I think for years I was very retirement rich, not a lot of liquidity other than that home equity line. Yeah, so when my wife and I sold our house down here, uh, we had what we considered to be adequate cash reserves. We had that three to six months to cover living expenses. But we knew at some point in the next few years we wanted to buy another house. Um, and so we had the discussion, well, should we continue to load up retirement accounts, You know, load them up to the maximum amounts available, or might it make sense to shift a little bit and rather than loading up the retirement accounts, start building up some liquid assets in just a taxable brokerage account. Um, Obviously, we had cash. If we would have kept putting in cash, that would have worked fine. But we knew that our timeline was five years-ish. So we started building up some assets in a taxable brokerage account. And uh, and it's been amazing because now that we have some of these new circumstances coming, you know, we have some medical bills and closing costs and furnishing costs and all those sorts of things. It's nice to not only have the emergency reserve cash pot there, but also know that I have the liquidity in the taxable account if I needed to get to it. Yeah. And I think those are great points. You want maximum opportunity. That's a great transition point I have. I thought of you, Bo, as I wrote this down. Yeah, Because I didn't read you my notes. Right. So I thought, but because Lord knows I'm not athletic. I come from a very athletic father. You know, that's how he went to college. 
But then somehow, fortunately, I was smart, but not athletic. But I, I put an athletic, for, you know, reference in here. All right. I said, bend your financial knees to be flexible. I had visions Look of when, at that. Yeah, getting that athletic yeah, stance. When I was nine or ten years old, I can remember back when I still somehow my athleticism drained out of my ears somewhere around age ten. <laughs> you know, because I really I was I was athletic back when I was nine and ten because I was left-handed. I was a pitcher. Yeah. And so everybody liked left-handed pitchers because I guess I had some natural movements. Yeah. So I actually got picked up for tournaments. And then I, maybe it was age eleven because age eleven is where I can distinctly remember. For some reason, was no longer picked on 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 tournament ball or anything else. But I tell people to bend your knees because I remember when you're out in the field, you know, you always want to bend your knees Mm -hmm. so you can go left easier, go right easier. You're not committing yourself to any direction, and it's the same thing. And it's kind of probably a recap of everything we just talked about: the baby, the layoff, the medical, and and here's a, a a piece of advice I want to talk about is that. When I talk about bending your knees to be flexible financially, is that take, for instance, I love paying off debt. And one of the things we've talked about that I think a lot of people, especially us hyper savers, is that after we fulfilled maybe that 10, 15, maybe even gotten to 20% of savings of your gross income, you say, okay, now what do I do? Right. And a lot of times we get to the point, and I even give guidance, pay off debt. Um, you know, I'm talking about debt. That, of course, I want credit card debt. By the way, should become way up. I'm talking right. about paying off what I consider healthy debt, which is like student loans or, or, or home mortgages. Those type of things are healthy debts because you know you made yourself better by going back to school, or you bought a house so that you can raise your family. There's nothing wrong with having those those type of debts. And you're trying to figure out: Do you pay it off early? This is the only thing I do want to tell you. If you're doing some what I consider riskier endeavors in life, um, like starting a business or having to do like Bo is where you're transitioning and having, you know, for the next three to five years, your life is probably going to be a little tighter than normal because maybe some things happen sooner than you anticipated. I always tell people, I love paying off debt. I even want you to be completely debt-free before you're considered truly retired and financially independent. However, if you know you have some risky things that are going to come your way in the next three to five years, be careful on straight up paying down your mortgage or student loans too fast. And here's my reason, because a lot of you are going to go, wait a minute, what's Brian talking about? I just want to tell you what I've seen in life, is that sometimes, especially if you're starting a company or, or moving to something like Bo is where he knows it's going to be tight for five years, you're going to need liquidity. And, you know, you've got your cash reserves, hopefully the three to six months, but you still might need even more liquidity just for the unknowns of what can come. Say you started a company and Mm -hmm. and things you go into, you start a company in 2007 and then 2008 happens where the music stops and you go, oh, my God, how am I going to make this? You're going to wish you'd had every penny that you had prepaid on your mortgage or student loans from 2007 and 2008 if you got in one of those situations. Absolutely. At least if you're taking that extra money and putting it in either into the cash reserves or even into like a, a taxable account, yes, it might go down in value, but you still have access mm-hmm. to it. And liquidity and access to liquidity is so, so powerful when you're in scary, uncertain times. And I know a lot of you that are big debt pay down people and I'm one of them too. Believe me, Bo knows I've always, when I bought houses, I've tried to come up with 10-year plans to pay them down as fast as possible. But I am a realist in the fact that when I do risky endeavors, like start new business ventures, I think it's okay to kind of 
hit the pause button every now and then and make sure that I don't get caught naked at any point in time of taking on too much risk. And I think what's beautiful is so long as you keep yourself flexible, and I've, I've actually seen this with some of my clients, they would either be starting a new business endeavor, having something risky. And so rather than prepaying that debt, they build cash, build cash, build cash. Well, then say things go better than expected. They were actually, they had actually overbuilt that cash. There's nothing that stops you at that point from you know, instead of saving $1,000, put you know, paying $1,000 extra a year on your mortgage, at the end of the year, put, paying $12,000. You know what I mean? Right. If you build up that cash and end up not using it, you can still deploy it for debt payoff, but you've at least remained flexible so you can adjust as needed. And, and I think it ties into, I've because I've had this conversation with so many of my clients, as well as listeners, as well as even my own wife, when we've talked about it. I think it's okay every now and then when you have life happen, to either hit the pause button, as I've already said, or even pull back on the throttle. But we were talking about, you know, we are hyper savers. Mm-hmm. I've always really felt great that I've been saving at a 25% or greater rate of my gross income. Right. But there have been times, and, and, you know, and I might be entering one shortly with some of this because these schooling options and other things, I'm going to have to recalculate some things. It's okay. It freaks me out internally to know I've been saving 25%, but you know, we were talking about in show prep is that I probably will still be saving 10 to 15%, yeah. but that seems like... And it's going to make you feel like you're not saving. It feels but, like I'm not, but I think it's just, but I think it's okay to pull back the throttle mm-hmm. a little bit in the temporary short-term period if you know that you're creating a plan that adjusts for life but still puts you on a path towards success. Um, the other thing I'll tell you that gives, that because I'm now at that age, I've told you all about the whole game I play with my net worth. I think it is very fulfilling. When you have these these curveballs that come at you, the uncertainties of life, like I did with the aut- with autism, and now special schooling, we're going to have to research, and the the high cost of what that is, is that it, my diligence of saving when I was young is now paying off. Right. I feel like it's going to even if I have to pull off the throttle of my savings to deal with life, my assets are still going to be working for me. All that hard work and is is going to be working through compound interest because I front-end loaded through deferred gratification for the future. And I I put that out there for everybody so that you can feel some type of power that, yes, while life is good, save a little bit extra Mm -hmm. because it will pay off in, in, you know, tenfold just in case something uncertain happens and you'll feel really good that you had that that extra asset out there working for you in those times. Um, I I, I want to kind of, we're getting close to closing out the show I want to talk about, because we, we, we had a really good show we did at the end of 2014 talking about vision planning. And I want to say, when you face these uncertainties, find a way to vision plan the positive of, of the unknown. It is so easy when you have an uncertain thing happen that you can just let the negative overwhelm you. I mean, Bo, you had the potential that you could have, you could have just started going, oh my God, this is, this, this did not occur when I expected it to. What are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, but you've tried to find, okay, where's the silver lining yeah, in this absolutely. negative experience? Okay, interest rates are at an all-time low right now. Um, I'm in a great market where it looks like real estate's doing all right. Let's take this uncertain event, probably take on even additional risk, which is scary as heck. Right. But we're going we're gonna to try to make something positive out of this, uh, this event. It's the same thing. I want to kind of take a negative event that I try to turn into a positive, which kind of led to this whole thing, is that, a lot of you guys know, I've talked about it. I lost my father back in 2000, working for a great company up in Atlanta. It was actually the largest fee-only financial planning firm in the entire Southeast. 
you know, it was, had a really nice pedigree to it. But I found myself when I, when after my father passed away, I reevaluated my life and what made me feel happy and fulfilled. And what I realized is, is that my father made every one of my tennis matches. He made every one of my play practices. That's right. I told you my dad was super athletic, you know, played down at the University of Florida, was, um, you know, was Steve Spurrier's left tackle, really great guy. And yet I had him at play practice. But that's how much he loved his children, that he showed up at all that stuff. You know, he'd come to all that stuff, support it. And I realized, looking at my life, I was on the corporate treadmill. Mm-hmm. I was leaving the house probably before 6 in the morning, coming home after 8. We didn't have kids at the time, so it seemed like it was okay to be so devoted to my career. And then the, the music stopped. I keep using that reference because I think it is the truth of life. The music stopped, and my father passed away. And I was like, well, gosh, I'm not going to be able to do the same stuff my right. father has done. So I shifted gears, started this. It took a year to save. Uh, you know, a little over $40,000. We used every penny of that to start a business because I told you guys I went from being right at six figures down to about $17,000 my first year. And that vision plan of looking for the positive is what made it through. I had a vision for what I wanted to see my life look like where when me and my wife had children, I could be there. Little did I know, Thank God I did that because now that I have an autistic child, a special needs child, there's even more needs Absolutely. where I need to be around to provide support. And it's so interesting if you look back, you know, through the 2020 vision of, of looking at your life, you can see that it's okay that you have to pivot from time to time as long as you have that vision plan to stay positive. Loss of job. Bo, I had you pull up and maybe you can jump into it in a minute, but there are new opportunities. You know, a lot of times you feel devastated if maybe there's layoffs from a downturn in the economy and you're like, what in the world am I going to do? I can tell you personally, and then you've got some high profile ones. Oh, yeah. Um, One of my first clients when I went out on my own was actually the parents of one of my childhood best friends. He's still one of my best friends, but um, his father was just a $7 an hour welder at the time. Um, got laid off because of, I think, some personality issues or something. And then this welder, who was the father of one of my best friends, started his own company, started a metal fabrication company, which exploded. I mean, through his hard work, because, you know, you could say that Harry was one of the really hard worker, really good at his job. And now, real, I mean, his son is running the company yeah. and he's completely independent financially. And it's all because of that transition of taking a negative of a layoff and a termination and then starting a company. And that's why I've told you guys, one of my greatest memories, and this is one of the things why I knew I wanted to start a business too, was watching Harry tell me his story of when he got laid off, started the company, got that glossy eyed where you could tell he was scared because he was going back in time to what it felt like to start a company. And he was kind of had that glazed over look because he was reminiscing. And you could tell there was a sense of fulfillment and pride that he'd gone that road less traveled and it worked out. And then, Bo, I know you pulled up an article. Yeah, this give us is, a, give us a few examples. Yeah, this is a little dated, but this uh, this is an article that was in Business Insider. I'm just going to read some names to you of people who were fired, and and maybe you might say they landed on their feet. So I'm just throw some out there. Um, Steve Jobs. Don't know if you guys have heard of him. He was a pretty pretty big deal. Yeah, he started Pixar after he um, got ousted. Got at, um, booted from Apple. Apple. That's a, that's a good point. Um, Walt Disney. Mark Cuban, J.K. Rowling or Rowling? Rowling. 
You think it's rolling? Yeah, I think so. Harry Potter. JK, if you're out there listening, <laughs> shoot us an email, and we'd be more than happy to uh, figure out how you are. No, JK, if you're out there listening, hook us up. I mean, <laughs> we just give us a trial run with a few million, and we'll, we'll show you what we can do over here. I mean, come on. She's a billionaire. Uh, this is a pretty cool one. Mayor Michael Bloomberg used his severance check to start his own company. Now he's one of the richest people in the country. Um, some other cool names. Uh, how about Madonna? She lost one of her first oh, jobs. That, 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 okay, we're I, oh, getting a little I'm crazy. I'm just saying, it's still, you know, it's still there. She oh. sprayed jelly all over a bunch of employees. Yeah, she, I don't think that, and then she her career that. path, let's keep it back on Money Guy. All you right, know, all focus right, fine, stuff. fine, fine. <laughs> Uh, Oprah Winfrey. Oprah Winfrey. Okay, there we go. One. There's a business person. And the, the list goes on and on. Really incredible stuff when you think about people who we deem these days to be super successful, even business titans, who at some point in time had an unfortunate circumstance that instead of feeling sorry for themselves and getting down and really just bashing themselves, they used it to propel themselves to a level which they may never have had the opportunity to do if they hadn't have gone through some trying circumstances. They took the worldview of trying to find opportunity and finding an adventure out of it. You know, it's funny, I, I've listened enough or, or, or read enough of the, those pop science books that Malcolm Gladwell does with de- desired difficulty. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, and this is probably a great way for me to close out the show, desired difficulties are sometimes the worst things that you, know, that you want to have happen to you in life can ter- generate some of the biggest positive outcomes. You know, I wrote in my show notes, the scariest moments can cre- create... I don't know why I'm having trouble reading that. The scariest moments can create the most fulfilling life events. Mm -hmm. The biggest thing I can tell you is make sure when you're going through these life events that you can recognize what the issue is, what's going on, that you can recalculate or pivot the plan, really, to know how you're going to adjust and, and, and create that vision plan for the future. And then execute on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, this kind of comes right back to that vision plan that we were talking about. Measure. See how you're doing from time to time. Because the Lord knows, you know, we, we have clients who f- check in with us. You know, it's hard to look at things in the short term. If I had tried to measure my success in year one after starting my company, I'd have gone, gosh, I just left six figures for 17000 I'm a failure in life. That's why you have to be careful to make sure you keep that plan to where you're measuring to know what the next step is. And it all ties back full circle, put a bow on it. You've got to have that personal five-year plan. Yep. Because if you don't look at things just in small little sub-segments of one year, three months, one week, it, you'll, you'll overwhelm yourself. Have that plan, but then bend your knees financially and keep the flexibility so that you can adjust, you can pivot and be successful and turn some maybe something that you're scared to death of or maybe something that's a negative in your life. See if you can conquer it and turn it into a positive. And that's what Bo, so happy for you and your wife. I think that um Lord knows, you know, you've been in town so we could record these podcasts. You've been staying at my house. You see the chaos that your life oh, is about yeah. to enter. I it's mean, that's the thing crazy. is that it is the one of the hardest things that you'll ever love to do. Um, but your life is good. I don't want to trade with you for after June 1st. I'm probably not going to, you know, you're going to be a different guy for about four months. Yeah, that's just what being that's honest everyone's been telling you. me, yeah. And then, you know, my visions of us um, hanging out and seeing movies when I come up there to visit you probably is going to be me coming by to watch you burp a baby. Yeah, hanging out, watching Frozen, and, uh, you know, that sounds awesome, right? <laughs> no, you're not. Frozen doesn't come for a while. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. you got to wait until... Frozen is not where you come out of the shoots with. you got to go through. Now, when it was my babies, it was Einstein baby, and then... Um, Teletubbies, I don't know. It's crazy. I don't I don't even, you know... Bubble guppies, I've heard of that one. That 
still might be you're you're, you're swinging a little yep, out see, there. I'm a, a rookie. Bit. I don't you're, know. You're gonna get where they there. basically just play some ding dongs on a you know some notes on on a things, and you're gonna be so annoyed. You're like, why is that interesting? They're gonna be flashing colors and some really bad music, and you're like, why does my child like that? But that's um. That is what babies watch. So be prepared. All right. Well, there we Fortunately, go. most cable channels now. I had one. I can't. I used to have it memorized, but there was one channel that was on my cable network that was specifically for babies. And what was funny to me is that it ran 24 hours a day. And you're like, well, why does a baby channel run 24 hours a day? Oh, you'll figure it out. Because <laughs> when that baby wakes up at 2 in the morning, and you're like, oh, my God, they won't quit crying. And then somehow you turn on this magical soothsayer TV channel, and, you, and all of a sudden they, they just start looking at the colors, and you're just like, it oh, worked. <laughs> God bless this cable operator for putting this channel on there. So... Um, that's, I don't know why we went on that tangent, but really I'm excited for your family. And guys, thank you so much. You know, part of the vision plan when I talk about this podcast, we started this because I felt so bad with our minimums when people came to us and they said, Hey, I need help. And I knew that the financial industry was not the easiest thing to figure out. So this brand new technology had started when the iPods were released at the end of 2005. So we started at the first of 2006 giving away what we were trying to do was give away the best free financial advice because I had that hedge- educator heart. And you guys have turned this into something that I never thought it would be. I'm working with a lot of you now. We've picked up more clients just from this show. Um, thank you. Thank you. I can't, you know, I try to gush on you guys as much as possible. So you know, in my heart, I really do appreciate it. and it's creating opportunities and really making me feel fulfilled that I think the goal has been accomplished. A lot of you guys write us, tell us, hey, I had this, I've accomplished this from listening to the show. Keep up the, the sharing that information with us. It really does give us those attaboys that makes it keep going. If you want to write me, it's Brian, B-R-I-A-N at money-guy.com. Or you can write my co-host, Mr. Bo Hansen at B-O at money-guy.com soon to be Bodetti. <laughs> so um, thanks so much, guys. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. I'm your host, Brian Preston. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. <laughs>